glad I'm here today. I'm glad I get to preach. I've missed that uh, as I've been trying to focus on what the elders have charged me to do. Uh, I miss bringing a word, a message from God, but we've had some wonderful messages from people uh, over the last three weeks from uh, Greg and then Galen and last Sunday Vance. We're so blessed to have capable, gifted ministers like that. And, you know, we're blessed to have members that are gifted and capable and, and loving. Uh, this is a this is a really cool place to be. If, if, if you're a guest here today, if you, maybe it's the first time you've been here, I've met some unfamiliar faces and seen others, uh, you need to check this out because it's, it's, uh, it's really a, a place where we think God is at work and we think God has a blessing for your life and, and hope that we can be a part of you realizing what that is. So hang around. I mean, hang around after we're done here today, but hang around, uh, get connected with a small group or find a ministry. You think, man, that sounds cool and a good part of that. Uh, because we really think God has some blessings for your life. And, uh, and we'd love to be a part of that along with you. <clears throat> if, if, if you're just kind of new to this whole church thing altogether, that's cool. Just, uh, just take all the time you want at whatever level you'd like. Because we're not trying to rush you. We'd love for you to be with us for a while. I uh, know a preacher in Florida who was talking about somebody that wasn't really familiar with the church, the whole church thing. And uh, he said that he would come up to him after a sermon sometime and say, Preacher, that was one heck of a sermon, just a heck of a sermon, only he didn't say heck, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> really appreciated the compliment, but it, he said one time this same guy, he was in, this is Florida, he went back to Texas on vacation because Texas is where he's from. When he came back, he walked up to him right down at front after service, and he said, man, I have brought you something back that you can't get anywhere else but Texas, and you got to try this because it's the best you've ever had. And he reached into the sack and pulled out a six-pack of Lone Star beer and handed it to him with a big <laughs> smile on his face because he really wanted to bless that preacher's life, you know. Sometimes people that aren't familiar with, with church give us fresh perspectives on things. They, it kind of can be challenging sometimes. But it's not just people that aren't familiar with, with church altogether. Sometimes it's just people that have been in church all their lives, kind of like we have, only, only their experience has been really different from ours. I remember when I was in college, I remember I was part of a, a religion club, and we, we went on a retreat to this camp one weekend, and, and we were out there. Uh, and on Saturday afternoon, they said they were going to have a communion service. And, okay, I'm a, I mean, this is TCU, so there are people from all kinds of religious backgrounds out there. But I'm this Church of Christ kid, born and raised. Everything has been just like this. And my mind, I mean, little alarms are going off. Can you do that? Is that okay? I mean, th th to me, it was just all kinds of wrong was going on, you know, warning, warning. I, first of all, it was Saturday, not Sunday. Second, it was out at a retreat. It wasn't at church. And then they said, you're going to have everybody come up to the front instead of passing trays like the Lord intended us to do. 
and 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 they and and you start everybody started lining up to come up to the front and then the guy doing it he took a, a loaf of bread this is not unleavened bread he just took a regular loaf of bread and he had a cup and he dipped it and that cup did not have Welch's grape juice in it Okay, this was the real deal. This was wine. And he dipped the bread in the wine and handed it to you. And I'm, I'm waiting in line. I'm going, can I do this? Is, this? is this wrong? I mean, I didn't want to be judgmental or critical or anything. But, but I wanted to be true to my convictions about what I, I, I wanted to honor God by whatever I did. And, and I was just really conflicted. I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to do. You ever been in a situation like that? Most of us have at one time or another. And the thing is, though, when you're in a situation like that, sometimes you, you kind of look around, and, and these people that are doing these things that are so foreign to the way you've always known, always thought it should be, they're not some strange, godless, evildoers. They're people that really love God and, and, and have given their lives devoted their lives to following Jesus Christ. In fact, if we really think about it, we, and we're really honest about it, sometimes we have to say, man, I wish, I wish I was as devoted to God as, as it seems like they are. If you've ever been in a situation like that, especially the, for the first time, you know it really messes with your mind doesn't it? Wasn't, wasn't the way you were taught. Wasn't the way you had always seen things done and always thought things would be. And maybe for you it was the way they do music in a, in a place or the way they pray. Or, or maybe it was some kind of responsive liturgical stuff and, and that was just so foreign to you. Or, or, or maybe it, it wasn't that, that more uh, liturgical stuff. Maybe it was the other end. Maybe it was the videos and the, the drama and, and all different kinds of stuff that goes on there. Or, or maybe it didn't have anything to do with what you do in a, in a church service at all. Maybe it, was, maybe it was just kind of how you live your life devoted to God. Uh, views that they have on, you know, things like drinking and dancing and smoking and all that kind of stuff. And you go, whoa. Because it really challenges the way we see things. Well, if you've ever been there, you need to know we're not the first people to have that kind of experience, me or you because they've had it ever since the church was around, all the way back at the very beginning of the church in the book of Acts, we see a situation that was just like that. I hope you brought your Bibles. Turn to Acts. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Acts chapter 15 is where we are today. Remember, we're working our way through that, that kind of history of the beginning of the church. And today we're in, we're in Acts 15. And this is a this is a clear example of that kind of thing that we're looking at this morning. We're going to see a picture of how God led the believers in the early church to respond to people who did things different from the way we've always been used to. This is a pivotal moment in the life of this young church. This is a really critical juncture. <clears throat> it didn't just happen overnight, this is what happened. I mean, if you think back to what, what we've seen in Acts, you go back to Acts 6, and you remember there was some, some tension starting to develop between the, the Greek Jews and the widow Jews about uh, benevolence ministry that they had to take care of the widows. 
And there's some, yeah. And then in, in chapter 10, you remember Peter was in Joppa and the whole thing that happened there with the sheet. And then he, he went to Cornelius and, and just baptized Cornelius and accepted him just like they were. And that, that kind of cranked up the tension a couple of notches. Well, it's about to the boiling point here in chapter 15. I mean, this is really when it comes to a head. Because Paul and Barnabas have just returned to Antioch. That was sort of their home base. They returned to Antioch after that, that journey all around all kinds of cities and countries that we've looked at the last two weeks, remember? <clears throat> they converted people, but... The thing that was different is they were converting people that were non-Jewish people. They were going to cities that didn't have synagogues in them. Before, everybody they went to, at least at first, was always people where there were synagogues and people were aware. Maybe they weren't Jewish people. They were at least aware of that stuff that was going on. But now, they just found people that really didn't have any history, any heritage in the religious deals that they did. And they say, you can, you can become a follower of Christ just like you are. And, and they didn't know anything about the Jewish stuff, and Paul and Barnabas didn't think they needed to, didn't think they had to know that stuff. Problem is, some believers down in Jerusalem, people really rooted in, in the traditions of the Jewish they heard about this and they said, that's not right. You can't do that. And so they decided they were going to go fix this. And they, they went around to these different cities and towns that Paul and Barnabas had been to, setting things straight. They said, okay, it's not that they were telling you something wrong exactly. They just didn't tell you everything you needed to know. Because, yes, we're saved by God's grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. But to really be pleasing to God, to really be in covenant relationship with God, you got to keep the law of Moses. And you can imagine that these people were being told something very different than what they'd been told first. And, and they, it was confusing to them, and it, it produced a lot of anxiety. Not just anxiety in these different places they went to, but it kind of came back to Antioch, and there was some real stuff going on there. Look at verse 2 of Acts chapter 15. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. See, the church in Antioch realized, we got to deal with this. we got to deal with this, this real difference, this, this real disagreement that's going on here before it really becomes a problem because it can really undermine the whole mission that God has given us for the kingdom. So they send Paul and Barnabas and some other folks down to Jerusalem. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a small deal, okay? That was 250 miles, but in those days, it was a huge trip. They get down there, and, and they, they meet with the apostles and the elders to get this all sorted out. Now, you've been around church very long. I don't have to tell you that when a missionary goes back to the mothership, first thing they're going to do is give a report, right? Well, that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas do. They start telling about all of this stuff. And no sooner have they got their slide projector turned off than the critics, the people that think this is all wrong, say, well, look what they say, verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. This is not exactly a, a calm, cordial conversation that they're having here. Now, they were not saying that these non-Jewish people could not become followers of Jesus. 
Not that, but we've gotten over that part. But they were saying, okay, you can become a follower of Jesus, but you've got to become Jewish first. Coming to Jesus as you were and trusting in him alone is just not going to cut it. I mean, they would not have sat still for that song that we used to sing all the time, Just As I Am, because they didn't believe that. No way you're coming to Jesus just as you are if you're not a Jew. Well, after the apostles and elders heard what they had to say, they began discussing it. And like lots of church conversations, this one seems to go on and on and on. And finally, Peter gets up and addresses the issue. Now, that's surprising in at least two ways. First of all, that Peter would wait until there's lots of discussion before he ever gets up and talks because that's not his M.O. He's usually the first guy to pop up and shoot off his mouth, right? But he waits until all this discussion, and finally he gets up. But the second thing that's surprising is that it's Peter and not Paul because, after all, Paul's the the leading person in this whole non-Jewish effort. But Peter's the one. Peter, you see, was, was the preeminent apostle there in Jerusalem. And so he's the, he's the one that's really the one to do it. He has the greatest influence. And he reminds them of what happened when he was in Joppa, the whole vision thing. He reminds them about what happened with Cornelius. And, and he cl- concludes this way. In verse 9, speaking of God, he says, He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No! We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter gets right to the heart of the matter. The problem was that requiring non-Jewish believers to have to keep the law added conditions to salvation that God didn't add. There was no requirement to do that, to be either in fellowship with God or in fellowship with other believers. It's only by trusting in Jesus that we're saved. Now, Paul and Barnabas, then they do speak up, and they begin to tell the people there about these incredible, amazing things that God had been doing among these non-Jewish believers, these non-Jewish followers of Jesus. And and it's kind of interesting. It says there that, that something really strange, really noteworthy happened. Because there's, there's been all of this kind of you know, this conversation and this belligerent attitudes and no, it's got to be this way. And, but when they start talking about the amazing things God has been doing, everything got incredibly quiet. I mean, like you could have heard a pin drop. Really silent. Because people were just kind of spellbound, listening to what God was doing. And it was obvious God's, God's at work here. God's doing this. 
Well, finally, James, who's not, not the apostle James, one of the 12, but the Lord's brother, which, by the way, is one of the most powerful testimonies to the deity of Jesus. If his own brother is going to be a part of this movement, is going to believe in him. But anyway, that's another sermon. That James spoke for the church in Jerusalem, and, and I, I can just see the, the old guard, the old school guys there going, all right, yeah, go, all right, James, set him right. Man, this is our guy. Now our guy's going to get up and talk. But they were in for a surprise because he's, he's telling them how it is, but he's not saying what they think he's going to say. He quotes Amos, this prophecy from Amos about how God's going to have the people from all the nations. That's what Gentiles means is nations. And he, and he says, uh, let me see, where is it? Verse 19. Well, it, it, before we get to there, essentially he says, look, guys, you don't have to go to Calvary. I mean, go to Sinai before you get to Calvary. You don't have to become a follower of Moses before you can be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to accept the law before you can accept the gospel. That's, that's not a requirement. <clears throat> that's the theological side of the discussion. What about the practical side of things? How are they going to deal with this in, in real life? Well, James recommends a, a compromise that should have satisfied everybody. They weren't going to require circumcision or observance of the law of Moses for these non-Jewish people. But he does ask them to observe some things. There's verse 19. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them who are turning to God. I mean, instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Four things. That's a far cry from the 613 commands of the Jewish law. Very simple, very clear. Four things. Now, why in the world would he pick those four? Well, I I suspect the, the connection was that these four things were all things connected in some way or another to worshiping other gods, worshiping idols. That means they didn't have to be, but they usually were. And it's very clear that if you're completely sold out and devoted to God, to following Jesus Christ, you can't, you can't be mixing in some of the old stuff with it. You, you, you can't have some of those old God's alongside your devotion to the true God. It's not going to work. And there was a danger in doing that if they, if they didn't stay away from that stuff. Not only that, even if they didn't get sucked into that, there would be the appearance of idol worship. That wasn't going to be glorifying God. We need to be clear on something here, folks. The Jewish believers were not here and were never anywhere in Scripture asked to stop 
doing things the way they were doing them. They were never told, you got to stop being Jewish to belong to Jesus Christ. It's just that you couldn't require everybody else to become like you in order to be acceptable to God. They would continue, the Jewish believers would continue to keep the law as part of their heritage, but not as a condition of salvation. It wasn't a prerequisite for fellowship with God or for fellowship with other believers. And the end result is that the church could maintain unity without having to have uniformity. People could do things very differently that looked very different, that were very different, and yet they were still focusing on the same God and honoring him with all that they did. This is perhaps the most critical decision that the early church is going to make. And this, this conference of people that come together in Jerusalem determined whether Christianity would remain a, a tiny little sect of the relatively small Jewish religion or it would become a force for faith throughout the world. William Willimon described it this way. The young church, which has had to prevail against external adversaries, both Jew and Gentile, as well as internal infidelity, has demonstrated that it can prevail against perhaps the toughest foe of all, disagreements with fellow Christians about church policy. Rather than do what churches often do on such occasions, flee from the fight, submerge our differences, or else storm off in a huff, the apostles demonstrated that the gospel has given them the resources to confront controversy without being destroyed by it. There are congregations who are too weak, too fearful of possible fragmentation, and too bereft of any common binding faith to have a good argument. Luke does not discuss those churches because their timid and supercilious stories could not give courage to anyone. So what do we do with this story? What do we do with it today? We need to understand this controversy wasn't about something where people just had some differences of opinions. At the core, the issue here is whether we are going to see people and treat people the way Jesus did. The critical question here isn't about how we do stuff in church or whether we keep certain boundary markers that identify us as the right people and making sure we're doing all the right things that we're supposed to be doing. The critical question that this raises is this. Are we going to love people and use things or are we going to love things and use people let me say that again the question this issue is this are we going to love people 
and use things? Or are we going to love things and use people? That was essentially the same question that constantly caused Jesus to have all kinds of conflict with the religious leaders. He constantly was, was getting in trouble with them for doing stuff that didn't conform with their expectations of how you have to do things. He, one time he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Well, lots of times he healed somebody on the Sabbath. One time he didn't, they, they, they were all up in arms about it. They were really upset and hot and bothered about it. And he said, okay, guys, listen. If, if one of you has a, a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, are you not going to go up there right away and get him out? Sure you are. Another time, he and his disciples picked some grain and ate it on the Sabbath, and they got all hot and bothered about that. And he explained why that was okay, and he said, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God didn't create these these commands, these, these laws that he's given us to put heavy burdens on us but to help us honor him and be close to him and connect with him. And we shift that around a lot of times. Well, the religious establishment didn't like anything Jesus said because it threatened the status quo and they were very comfortable with the way things were. Don't rock that world. And so they, instead of understanding, instead of searching for how they could be more true to God, they started searching for how they could keep things the way they were, maintain the establishment. You see, Jesus got it, but they never did. Now, here in Acts, in the early days of the church, they're dealing with the same issue. Is, is what we do that we believe is to honor God? Is it really about stuff or is it about people? When we hear someone ask if you love things and use people or use things or, and use things to love people, we, we, we think of people that use people and we think of it in a kind of a materialistic way. You know, we think of the, the big corporate executive that, that ships the manufacturing process offshore to horrible sweatshops where child labor is there and it's dangerous just so they can pad the bottom line and make a big fat bonus. Okay, that might be using people and loving things, but it's not just about possessions. It's not just about materialism, folks. We can do it. We can love the way that we have always done things so much that we wind up caring far more about keeping things the way they've always been than we care about bringing people to Jesus Christ. And bringing people to Jesus is what God said our mission is. It isn't coincidental that this controversy came up when they started taking the good news about Jesus to all kinds of people all over the world. People that didn't have a clue about how they used to do church. You see, as, as long as they stayed there in Jerusalem, pretty much everybody was Jewish. Or, or Judea, or even when they went to these other countries and other cities, as long as they had a synagogue there and they were going to people in the synagogue, they were talking to people like us. But when they got serious 
about going into all the world and taking the good news of Jesus to everyone, suddenly problems came up. It wasn't smooth sailing anymore. Well, brothers and sisters, the only way we're going to avoid having to deal with this same situation, I mean, whatever the specifics are in in the 21st century, not the 1st century, is to avoid being serious about our mission, which is that right there, seeking all who need Jesus and together becoming his fully devoted followers. If we're not doing that, we probably don't have that big a problem with this. But you start doing that, you're going to start having people come in and say, things in language that make us cringe and handing us six-packs. You talk to missionaries, they'll tell you that church squabbles and denominational issues are a luxury you can't afford on the mission field. And maybe you haven't realized it, but the United States of America is one of the largest mission fields in the world right now. And it's becoming more so every day. And we can continue to look inward and talk about what we do and how we do it and get all lathered up about that. Or we can get serious about what God has called us to do and say we don't have time and we don't have the energy to mess with that stuff. There are people all over the place. There are good people. And they're doing things not out of bad motives, not out of evil intentions, but because they're sincerely trying to honor God. But their desire, their their efforts to honor God honestly is more about keeping things the way we've always done it than it is about reaching out to people that don't know Jesus Christ and delivering them from the clutches and the power and the destruction of sin and what it does in their lives and leading them into a life that God created us to have that doesn't get sucked into that but becomes a life connected to him where there's joy and there's hope and there's peace and there's truth. And when we get serious about that, we don't have time for that other stuff. You see, we have the same challenge today that they did then. What God did then, he wants to do through us today. We got the same challenges today they had. When we really get serious about what God calls us to do, about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to people who are uninitiated, it's not going to be all smooth sailing. So here's the real question for us today. Are we going to love people more than the things we have come to cherish like how we do church? Are we going to love that stuff so much that we just can't bring ourselves to to accept people that aren't where we are? I hope we'll wrestle with this, this whole matter this week. I hope you'll think about it. And I want to challenge you to ask three questions to help you do that. First of all, go ahead and put it up. Ask yourself this. 
What is it that in my heart of hearts I really believe we need to be about here in this church? What do we need to be about? Do we need to be about loving each other? Do we need to be about sharing the good news of Jesus? Do we need to be about both? What is it that we really need to be about? But be honest enough to ask that question this way. What am I doing with my time and my energy and my attention? Because the honest truth is we can tell ourselves we really have a heart for something. If you're not doing it, you don't have a heart for that. James said something about you can tell what somebody believes by watching what they do. It applies to us too, folks. Ask yourself that question. Second question, ask, go ahead, ask someone else this. Make some time this week, if at all possible, to ask this question. What do you believe we need to do at Greenville Oaks in order to be the church God is calling us to be? What do we need to do? to become what God needs us to be, intends us to be. But here's the catch. Don't go ask the people you usually talk to and hang around with all the time. The people that you kind of have an idea, y'all pretty much see it eye to eye. You go find somebody that you know, or at least you suppose doesn't see things the same way you do. And you talk to them and you ask them this question. And do not get in an argument or a debate. You're asking to really understand not to try to win an argument. It's amazing, just like here in Acts 15, if we'll start talking to each other about what God's will is instead of about each other to one another that agree with us, it's amazing how it changes the equation. So I challenge you this week, Make it a point, make an effort to talk to someone here in this church. And folks, if you're, if you're a guest with us today, if you want to go ask somebody, that's great, but you're off the hook on this, all right? It's not your deal. This is our deal. But you talk to somebody that sees it different and try to understand, try to listen to them. Third question, ask God. Ask God to help you reread Scripture, to read it again with a desire to understand how you need to be about his mission for you individually and for us as a church. Folks, I'm as, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I've read this so much, I get in those ruts. And I just already think I understand it all when I start reading it. And that is death to fresh understanding of what God's doing Thank God Amos didn't do that. I mean, thank God James didn't do that reading Amos. Or all of us Gentiles might be in a very different place today. We sometimes get so locked into our well-worn ways of understanding the Bible that we miss out on some vital dimensions of what God's calling us to be. Not because we don't want to honor God's word or genuinely want to obey but just because it's hard to see stuff from a different perspective. So ask God to give you the insight to do that, to read it with fresh eyes. Pray that he'll help you lay aside the filters that we have and see what he's calling us to do.
You know, this challenge has been around ever since the beginning of the church. The sad truth is over the years, there have been way too many churches where people have gotten into really divisive things over arguments about how we need to do stuff. And I don't know of a single one of those that has either honored God or made somebody want to become part of the kingdom. We need to stay out of that stuff. See, it really isn't hard to accept people who see things and understand things and do things the way we do. Problem with that is that's not what business Jesus called us to. He called us to accepting people and loving people that aren't anything like us. When you see people who love God, learn to one, love one another in spite of all kinds of differences, it really changes how you see the whole kingdom thing. When you, when you see people who approach things different and think differently and they love each other anyway, you kind of go, wow, that's something I want to be a part of. That's something I want in my life. And it brings glory to God. Imagine what this place will become when we really start to love people more than things. No matter who they are, no matter how they see stuff, when we accept them as fellow believers and followers of Jesus. Because when we do that, this town and this world is going to sit up and take notice. And we're going to give a testimony. We're going to give glory to God like we've never done it before. I can't wait. Let's pray. Father, we confess that the deceiver is very good at what he does. We can get sucked into looking at things in ways that Keep us from being about the mission you've given us. Oh, God, keep us from falling into that trap. Let us learn that helping people, no matter who they are or where they are, people in the church and out of the church, traditional and progressive, rich and poor, young and old, educated, uneducated, black and white and brown and any other color, that helping all kinds of people come to truly know Jesus is what we're to be about. And let us begin to see some amazing things that you do right here in this church and in this town and in this world. Lord, give us eyes to see your vision for this place. For we pray it in the name of our Savior, Jesus, and amen.